Welcome, my name is Pastor Derek, and if you're here for the first time, just uh, so glad you could be with us for our series entitled You Ask For It, as you just saw. Uh, we surveyed the church recently to just try to find out some of the kind of top questions that people have uh, that are going on in life, in culture, in scripture, and uh, so this series is kind of tailor-made to your questions. The top question, uh, the top surveyed question with the most responses was today's topic, which is, are we living in the end times? Dun, dun, dun. just feel like there needs to be something behind that. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Quick little um, insert. Uh, the video announcements were wrong. Uh, C201 is tonight, not 101. So if anybody was wondering if we're having 101 tonight, it's 201 tonight at 530. I apologize for that. Um, also want to mention quickly, if you wouldn't mind, get your worship guide out. And there's a little insert inside there. Would you, would you, in honor of your pastor, this is my one request. Can you wave this at me? Let me know you got this. This is a relate one day event. Thank you, everybody. Good, good. How you? Let's get crazy. Now hit somebody in the face with it just a couple of times. Say, are you paying attention? All right, good. Appreciate that. Um, I just want to say something as, as your pastor. This is really important to me. This is one of our uh, strategic partners, Relate. We coach pastors uh, really all over the country now, and eventually, it sounds crazy even saying it, sometimes I feel like, what am I saying right now, but all over the world, we have a partnership with one ministry, with John Bevere's ministry, Messenger International, uh, 27,000 pastors in his network, they don't have what we have, and he wants us to help, so we're helping pastors do that, I coach all the time, we have people in our, our church that coach, but we're actually going to be bringing a lot of uh, pastors and leaders to Connect, Tuesday, October 21st. So we're looking for uh, dream team people. If you're not even on the dream team, maybe you're new to the church, you'd like to, you'd like to serve, be a part of what's happening um, in New England in particular. Uh, this is literally, this is one of my favorite events that we have, one of the favorite things that we do. Uh, a passion of my life, actually, is to kind of be with leaders and pour into leaders and stuff. So um, Tuesday, it's an, it's an all-day thing, so the times and the details, and you know, if for some reason you couldn't do all day because it's a work day, I know it's a sacrifice, but God will bless you and reward you for taking that time off. Uh, we have uh, numbers of people who have already committed to do so. I'll tell you this, we really, this is really beyond need. I actually think our needs are met already in terms of how many people we need based on the demand that's coming in. This, at this point, it truly is about you guys getting blessed. Uh, we had Numbers of people two years ago serve uh, through this Relate One Day that absolutely loved it, and we just blessed people. And it literally was talked about all up and down the East Coast. Everywhere I go, people always talk about Connect and how hospitable we are, especially being from New England because people think, you know, we're the frozen chosen, you know, and uh, we're just kind of hard candy shell. But, but we're really, how many know we, we're really good at people on the inside, right? You know, but we got to show them another side, and so... The, it, Forget the whole Southern hospitality thing. We showed them hospitality up here in New England, and uh, I'm married to a Southern Belle, and they do it great, but we did a great job, and they're talking about it all the time, and I want to show um, you know, our best and, and just serve the socks off this community when they come. So if you're interested, just fill this out uh, or go to Guest Central with this or put this in the connection boxes at the rear of the auditorium. Uh, I would love, love, love to see you guys serve with us on that day. It's an awesome day. Amen? All right, well, welcome to today's question. Um, most of the time when people come to church and connect, they're like, la, 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 and everybody's happy. And today it's like, oh, my God, <sighs> we're talking about the end times. Everybody's a little, little quiet out there. But this is the most studied, talked about, um, one of the most controversial subjects uh, argued about, sometimes even divisive subjects in all of Christianity, really 
for all time. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a big deal. It's a big subject. I was just um, at, a couple weeks ago, the movie Left Behind with Nicolas Cage. Um, I don't know if anybody saw that. Um, uh, and I remember just being there with my, my wife and uh, uh, my two daughters. Actually, one of my daughters. I don't think both of them went. Uh, Morgan was a brat that day. Uh, oh, sorry. She's not here yet. Uh, but uh, we were just, just taking this all in, and I remember leaving. There were two things that hit me. One is I thought about everything that happened in that movie literally the entire week. I, I was, like, dreaming about it. You know how you watch certain things, and, and you just can't stop thinking about it, and then you like, go to sleep, and you still can't stop thinking about it? It was that kind of a movie, and that was very impactful. And then I left, and, um, and just what was really sad to me was just watching. There was a lot of young kids there at this particular movie, and just watching the kids as they came out. Like, that was, like, entertainment. And I was thinking, no, not really so much entertainment. You know, this is kind of likely, you know, maybe not exactly the way this was ro- rolled out, but this is something that I believe is going to happen. And, and I didn't even know. I was like, God, what, you know, this is just, what are you trying to say? But I, I do think that there was some messaging coming out there. And it's obviously something that people are interested. Uh, in the 90s, a series came out, a book, a, a series of books came out called Left Behind. And um, there were 45 million copies of that book sold. It's a pretty big deal. It's so quiet in here. So it's going to be very, very interesting uh, how this goes. Most people, you know, people want to talk about, you know, uh, particularly, you know, ask me as a pastor, basically two subjects that always come up in my, in my experience and history as being a pastor. One is, you know, uh, what, what's the deal with the end times? And then the next one is, you know, what about sex? And then sometimes I get, you know, what about sex in the end times? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just seeing if you guys are paying attention out there. I don't know, but he's like so quiet. Anyway, uh, and I want to kind of set, this is for some of the, the Bible thumpers. Um, I want to set a couple of things up just to start, but just kind of to be clear. Today, I'm not going to be addressing some, this is a huge subject. There's no way to do this in one service. So I've been working on this for over a month. Um, I'm not going to talk so much about the sequence, but I'm going to talk more about the season. And those are very distinct. Revelation deals with, it's not revelations. People always say that it's the book of Revelation. It deals with the sequence. And I'm really going to be talking more about the season. I'm going to be specifically using uh, a text from Matthew chapter 24, talking about the season, the times that we're in. And then I'm going to use another prophetic scripture from Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that what separates what is happening today from other times in history actually is fundamentally uh, revolves around the nation of Israel. So I'm going to be kind of highlighting what is really going on uh, as it relates to the nation of Israel. Another little thing for the Bible thumpers, the people that are really into this, is uh, some people will know this, but I'm not going to spend time talking about things like replacement theology or you know, separate theology or remnant theology. Uh, most evangelicals, and I know this is going over a bunch of people's heads, but there's always a few here that care about this. Most evangelicals fall into what's called replacement theology. And, and I lean that way, but replacement theology does not nullify uh, the, the importance of what God spoke to the nation of Israel and that those things coming to pass. And so the, the following statements that I'm getting ready to make will, will shed light on this subject and make it clear to you, and I promise it will be interesting to you. Um, as a point of interest as we go forward, you know, we live in a world that has for centuries tried to predict the end of the world. 
How many have ever heard of some of those predictions? Raise your hand if you have. So we've heard about that. In fact, how many of you were around in 1988? I'm going to date some people. 1988? Okay, some of you in 1988. A guy named Edgar Wisenant. That's quite a name, Edgar Wisenant. Uh, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons for Why the Rapture in 1988. Obviously, he was a crack smoker because nothing happened on that particular day. So he was wrong about that. Um, the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses, some of you know who this man or heard of this man, Charles Russell. Uh, he predicted the end of the world uh, multiple times. Uh, 1914, uh, he predicted the end of the world. 1915, he thought he'd give it another shot the very next year. Took a little vacation on a 1918, predicted it again. And by the way, he missed it on all of those, as, as you know. Uh, his followers uh, went on to predict the end of the world multiple times. Uh, 1925, 1932, 1941, 1975, and in 1994, again, all wrong. So uh, definitely got some issues there with their predictions. Um, the most recent, let's just say, reputable uh, fascination with the end of the world uh, revolved around the Mayan civilization, the Mayan civilization, and they basically stopped, uh, the Mayans stopped numbering their calendar, um, and people all over the world thought that this was going to trigger the end of the world because there were no more numbers left. And therefore, we'd all be an extinct civilization shortly after that because there was no more numbers to write down. So I don't really get that. But their numbers ran out December 21st, 2012. And of course, that was supposed to be the end of the world. And it wasn't, but it was a cool movie. Um, uh, anyway, the point in all this is there are some things that we don't know. That, that we, we, we a lot of times try to spend most of our time talking about, but today I want to talk about some things that we absolutely do know. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's talk about what we do know, okay? And so <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. Actually, one in 30 texts in the scriptures refers to the end times. If you put them all together, it would be 23 chapters in the Bible are about the end of times, the end of days. And uh, big texts that talk about it a lot, of course, I've already mentioned Revelation, 22 chapters in Revelation. It's a pretty heavy book. I actually avoided it for most of my Christian experience. Uh, just didn't want to read that. Um, the book of Daniel is a massive prophetic uh, book that really talks about it a lot. Um, and of course, you know, there are other scriptures in Zechariah and Isaiah, and, and today we'll talk about a chunky one in Ezekiel. But before we start and really kind of get into this, the person that really knows the most about the subject of the end of days, uh, other than God the Father, is God the Son, Jesus. And so let's look at what Jesus said, and, 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 and we're going to kind of unpack this in a creative way with the video, but Jesus really talked about this in Matthew chapter 24, uh, in particular verses 3 through 14. Let's look on this clip and let's just see what Jesus had to say. Check this out. Check this out. Jesus said what the end of the world would look like. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Today, religious tolerance is higher than it's ever been before, showing and communicating that all roads lead to heaven, no matter what you believe. In a recent study, 57% of evangelical Christians said that they believe many religions can lead to eternal life. The problem today is not that people don't believe in anything, it's that they believe 
in everything. As a result, political correctness and the concern with tolerance has diluted the gospel and made it so that Jesus is not seen or believed to be the only way to heaven. Again, Jesus said in verse 6 and 7, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Since 1945 and the end of World War II, our world has had only three weeks of peace without a major war or conflict. We've witnessed many major conflicts such as the Vietnam War, the Six-Day War of Israel, the Korean War, the Gulf War, and the war in Afghanistan. But even more amazing is since 1945, there have been over 250 major conflicts throughout the world of which the majority are civil wars fought within the same ethnicities and countries. Jesus went on to say in verse 7, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Today over 41,000 will die of starvation. That's 28 people every day. This is more than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. Tonight, one out of eight people will go to bed hungry. Additionally, over the last 20 years, earthquakes and natural disasters have increased four times the amount they normally were since the early 1900s. Each year, there are about 20,000 earthquakes registered worldwide. However, since 1970, there have been over 70,000 earthquakes registered worldwide at a magnitude of 5.0 or higher. This is an average of 4.5 major earthquakes each day. Jesus continued in verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Today around the world, 100 million Christians in 65 countries suffer persecution. From the year 31 AD to 2000 AD, over 70 million were killed worldwide because of their faith in Christ. The 20th century saw over 45 million killed, nearly two-thirds the amount that we saw in the previous 1900 years. In 2012, it was estimated that nearly 100,000 Christians were killed because of their faith. In verse 12, Jesus said, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. There is no doubt that the majority of society is more tolerant to social injustice than ever before. Human trafficking, which is the equivalent to modern slavery, is a $44.3 billion business each year. Sex trafficking brings in $32 billion of that number. That is $87 million a day. Today, one out of every four girls and one out of every six boys are sexually assaulted before their 18th birthday. It seems that every day that we are reading about a new act of senseless violence and aggression. This is further proof of a world that seems to care less and less about the well-being of one another, one of our greatest charges from Scripture. As Jesus concluded in verse 14, he did it with good news. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Today the gospel has been translated into over 700 different languages, Version just announced, which is more than any other time in history. With hundreds of thousands of missionaries spreading the gospel, this text scripture is becoming a reality. 
In the U.S. alone, a gospel teaching church is being planted every two hours. In addition, Christianity has become the largest religion in the world with over two billion people claiming to know Jesus worldwide. With technology, the gospel and biblical resources for discipleship are more readily available than any other time in human history. Jesus was not dropping hints when he made these claims. He was preparing us to be ready for his return. Wasn't that piece well done? That's one of our volunteers, Rodolfo, over here. I just, can you give it up for one of our Dream Teamers? Thank you, Rodolfo. Good job. Very proud of you. Um, as you can see, you know, Jesus' words are coming to life, coming to reality. The things that he has spoken and the things that he predicted. He goes on to say in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 24, and you can look in your notes, there should be scriptures there. But he talked about something that is really unique to where we sit here today. Uh, perhaps has never been relevant except in the last 60 years. And so basically what I'm going to move is more from a little bit more from season. And I want to show you some things that are unique and that are sequential. Um, I want you to kind of check this out. There's a picture that will come on the screen of a fig tree. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, Jesus says this. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Everybody say fig tree. It's a huge deal here, okay? As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, and that's kind of the aforementioned of the, the, what you just saw on the video there. All these things are referring to all these signs. You know that it is near. What is near? The end of times. The end of days. Right at the door. Now, it's really important to kind of understand the Bible a lot of times will use symbolism. Um, and especially in this case regarding the fig tree. Many people believe, uh, scholars, reputable scholars believe, and this is where you have to kind of choose uh, to, decide, to decide or choose to believe this or not, but that the fig tree is representative of Israel. The fig tree is Israel. For years and years, when Jesus mentioned this particular fig tree, uh, this was obsolete. It didn't make sense because for years and years, there was no nation of Israel. Uh, I'll just stop and pause just for a second as we continue talking about this, because what happens is this just becomes a very sober subject. Let me, let me ask you something, because I, wanna, I, want you to, I want you to know that when I was preparing for this, there, there, it, it hits me like it hits you. In fact, I was thinking about some of the scariest experiences I've ever had um, in my life. One of the scariest movies that I ever, ever watched was the movie Jaws. Did anybody ever see? Anybody old enough? I watched Jaws in the theater, okay? Like... Scared me to death. Um, another movie that really freaked me out, um, you know, uh, I didn't even watch the whole thing, but, you know, was The Shining. Uh, just seeing Jack Nicholson's face, I can still see it right now. Can you see it? You know what I mean? It's just got that it's freaky. You know what I mean? And then there was the movie The Ring. Don't raise your hand if you watched The Ring, but there was a scene when the girl came out of the TV like I was all done. <laughs> I was done. You know what I mean? I like, I was freaked out. I was just absolutely freaked out. When I went way back, this, is, this will probably be surprising to some of you, but I went way back. When I watched The Wizard of Oz when I was a kid, the thing that scared me the most was those stinking flying monkeys. Anybody? The flying monkeys? Oh, my gosh. I was tormented by the flying monkeys, right? Well, 
what probably is above that was this movie, Left Behind, the original version of the movie, Left Behind. And I found an old clip, and it's old, it's low quality. Deej probably doesn't even want me to show it because the quality is so low. But there was this movie, not Left Behind, it was, it was about being left behind, but the movie was called Thief in the Night. Thief in the Night. Anybody ever see Thief in the Night? I'm really dating myself, some of you guys. Thief in the I want you to check out this clip, Thief in the Night. Uh, see if you remember this and maybe think about what it might make you feel like as a young person. from all over the globe confirming it as true to say that the world is in a state of shock this morning would be to understate the situation the event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world just about 25 minutes ago suddenly and without warning literally thousands perhaps millions of people just disappeared new eyewitness accounts of these disappearances have not been clear but one thing is certainly sure millions who were living on this earth last night are not here this morning Speculation is running high that some alien force from outside our system has declared war on the planet, and some feel it to be a spectacular judgment of God. The United Nations is in a special emergency session. Even if it is something like the rapture, we need not panic. The very fact that we are here and able to discuss it is sign enough that it is not all-inclusive. End of quotation. The event spoken of in the Hebrew Christian scriptures is described somewhat in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 and on. And Jesus Christ is reported to be the speaker. And he says, and I quote, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now, you might have thought it was scary, but when I was a young man, that was quality television back in the day. <clears throat> but I can remember, I, I just vivid memories of that razor buzzing in the, in the sink, you know, and even as an adult, I could have flashbacks to that, you know, like, you know, waking up in the morning and like, Stacy's not in bed, and you know, going into the bathroom and, you know, the razor be buzzing. You know, of course, that wouldn't be Stacy's razor. Let's <laughs> pray, and, pray and hope. But <laughs> that didn't work out so well. Uh, but, you know, there was just, it, it's different. Like, there's certain things that are scary. There have been scary experiences around certain, certain things that kind of sober you up a little bit. Uh, but, but you can kind of, you know, dismiss them because they're not real. It's not reality. But there are some things that have happened in our lifetime that are real. And there are things that could happen that are real as well. Remember the Holocaust, for example. Um, and unfortunately, the Holocaust was not a TV show. It was a real show. It was a real deal. Uh, I, I want you to see uh, a picture here, but from 1933 to 1945, here a group of Nazis tried to literally exterminate another group of people, uh, as we know, the Jews. And they, unfortunately, uh, killed over 6 million Jews. Some of the uh, images when I was looking at the Holocaust um, 
pictures online, and I believe there's a museum um, that have been left, are incredibly um, disturbing and, and inappropriate, really, to even share with you. And I, I couldn't even show them. This was probably one that I felt like I could without, uh, you know, being over the top. But with, with, with an image like that in mind and with those kind of pictures uh, that are real, that are reality, uh, Holocaust in particular. Look at Ezekiel chapter 37 with me, and I'm going to build something here that I want you to see. It's amazing prophecy, biblical prophecy being fulfilled in our lifetime. And I want you to think about the images you just saw or remember the Holocaust as we go forward. Remember in particular the bones. I had to cover over. There were certain scenes that I could show you about the bones, but they were just, just too hard to show you. But a prophet named Ezekiel talked about this and received a download from God hundreds of years ago uh, before this ever happened or more this ever came to be. It says this. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, Ezekiel, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Holocaust bones is what I want to suggest to you today, and many, many believe. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones, there's that word again, on the floor of the valley. Bones were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. I don't know. You know. Ezekiel was, in essence, mortified by what he saw. He was freaked out by all this. This was a really scary movie to him, basically. And again, most scholars believe that Ezekiel was allowed to see the future. He was allowed to see into what would happen in the future, the Holocaust in particular, what, what happened before it happened, and it kind of made me think. It makes you think, I hope. And he was telling God, I don't know about all this, but then in the rest of Ezekiel chapter 37 was a picture of these bones coming back to life, which is interesting. Respectable, and again, noteworthy scholars say this is, the, this is referring to the rebirth of the nation of Israel, otherwise known as the fig tree. Okay, so now we've got the fig tree, nation of Israel. Are you, are you guys tracking with me or trying to track with me out there? Yes or no? Okay, so we're going to put this thing together. I'm going to show you Matthew 24, Ezekiel 37. We're going to kind of marry these two texts together. So again, the fig tree in Matthew 24 is the nation of Israel. And the bones coming together, coming back to life in Ezekiel represents the rebirth of the nation of Israel. So Holocaust... You know, uh, bad things happen, dry bones. Later on, there's kind of a rebirth. Ezekiel talks about this. Anyway, the people didn't take this seriously, this whole subject, this whole idea, until May of 1948 when Israel became a nation once again. 1948, Israel became a nation. After World War II, Israel became a nation in, the, in May of 1948. And that is Ezekiel 37, Matthew 24, literally coming to life in our lifetime. It's unique. It's something that's never been able to be said in, in all of history, these particular prophetic utterances being fulfilled in our lifetime. Matthew 24, the second portion, referring to the fig tree, and also Ezekiel chapter 37. Nobody has ever, no generation has ever been able to say this until now. Then the next event on God's timetable that we can pull from the Old Testament is in Ezekiel chapter 38, and this happens after Israel becomes a nation. So you can look all this up. If you trust Google more than your Bible, you can Google this, and you can see when Israel became a nation, but uh, hopefully you guys are tracking. 
So uh, chapter 38, verses 1 through 6. Now, I'm going to read this, and this is going to seem a little confusing at first, but just hang on. Biblical prophecy can be. That's why people don't talk about it or read it a lot. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, verse 1, chapter 38. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Persia, Cush, Put will be uh, uh, with them, all with shields and helmets. Also, Gomer with all its troops and Beth, Togomar, from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Now, some of you are all thinking, this pretty much clears it up for me, Pastor. I'm all set. We can go home right now. <laughs> Others are like, what in the world is that all about? So I can appreciate that. Um, let me explain. This scenario, uh, contextually, for it to happen has never existed before like it does now until the last actually four years, what I'm getting, what this particular text, the last four years. Very recently, all of the pieces of the puzzle have kind of come together. And so what I want to show you on the screen is kind of a map that talks about this. And Ezekiel lists for us these particular nations that come up against Israel in the end of times. So it lists nations like Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, Togomar, Persia, Cush, and put as countries that will be enemies of Israel. Now, what, these, what are these countries and what do they represent today? Who are they now? In other words, we don't have names like that in the world today. What are their modern names? And so there's kind of a map here to show a little bit about what this is all about. Biblically, Russia was known as Magog. So Magog is now known as modern-day Russia. Modern-day Russia has really never liked Israel. Additionally, it's openly supplied, and you can verify this, weapons to neighboring countries like Sudan who are in terrible terms with Israel. Then Meshach, Tubal, Gomar, and Togomar are all part of what we now know, four quadrants of modern Turkey. Modern Turkey. Turkey was at peace with Israel until 2010. And Turkey and Israel, basically, they entered into a minor skirmish, a conflict, uh, the Gaza Freedom Flotilla. Uh, I, I don't know all about it, but I know there were these naval blockades around Israel, and there were these humanitarian, supposed humanitarian efforts to try to get into Israel, and these blockades said, you can't come through until we check everything out, and they would keep trying to push their agenda and go through those blockades, or not go through those blockades, and Israel said, no way, Jose, and there were a couple of uh, skirmishes where uh, people were killed in the process. It got tons of worldwide media coverage. I think it was nine different times they tried to get around these blockades, and Israel wouldn't have it. Israel's a pretty tough country. You don't want to mess with them. Anyway, it escalated, and so now uh, tensions between those, those two countries are at an all-time high. So those four biblical nations now are all known as Turkey. And then Persia, which is an area that contains three countries that we know today, back then it was is one. Now it is three. Interestingly enough, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran all make up what biblically was known as Persia, all of which, of course, are in strong opposition to Israel, but especially Iran. Iran has actually said it's their goal to wipe out Israel. 
Now, Cush, which includes the African nations, uh, Cush is known uh, instead of, uh, it, it has uh, three different nations that make it up, Ethiopia, Somalia, we just saw a recent movie, actually we did a series uh, called At the Movies, and I did one of the movies was based out of that, uh, and then Sudan, have strong political unrest, uh, major issues, uh, wars, uh, always, you know, genocide, attempts at genocide. Sudan is tied to the supplying of Syria weapons. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, in the, a lot of issues in those countries. And then finally, Put is now known as modern-day Libya. Libya. The Libya uh, has issues with lack, a lack of government, lack of structure. It's allowing rebel groups uh, to run uh, rampant and just do kind of whatever they want. There's war, there's unrest, and it's made it a very violent, very unstable country. And then, of course, the countries not mentioned that you might think of are things like are countries like Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon, if you know your Middle Eastern countries. I know you guys are starting that every day. Pause for effect. Um, but they are currently, these countries are cur currently at peace with Israel. You know, just as a pause, it's important to know what's going on in our world, isn't it? Well, sometimes we're just thinking about what's going on in our little world, and it's no wonder we get sidetracked because we don't know. Uh, sometimes if we're introduced to bigger problems and bigger situations, we tend to get over our own problems. Um, Syria and Israel have a tumultuous history, and recent activities there um, are dominating the news if you look at it. Uh, major problems, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Israel just two years ago said that, you know, it would wipe out Syria if it was threatened again. So there's, there's a lot of hostility. And if you look at the map, you see kind of what's going on all around Israel as a whole. Uh, can you see something going on here? Uh, and, and let me read this to you from Isaiah chapter 17. I think it's in your notes. It's another biblical prophecy. It says this, a prophecy against Damascus. Damascus in the Old Testament is actually Syria today. It says, see, Damascus will no longer be a city, but will become a heap of ruins. Some people believe the threat that Israel made against Syria is actually referring to this biblical prophecy being fulfilled, just as another little insert. There are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that have already been fulfilled or are this close to being fulfilled. Hundreds. And it's, so it's very possible that you, this particular text I just read you, you could see the fulfillment of that in coming months. Not years, months. Um, all of the nations mentioned in the text previously, these uh, Old Testament nations, with the exception of Russia, are predominantly Islamic nations. Uh, when you consider Jerusalem as the third holiest location uh, for um, the Islamic faith and conflict that people are having over land all the time with the Palestinians, it's not far-fetched to see the end of this conflict is approaching and how it is aligning to play itself out exactly the way the Bible has predicted. It's not hard to see. Um, and, and as you just saw, the world has never been in a situation like it is right now. Literally right now. And keep in mind that these countries and these armies, according to Scripture, according to Scripture, these countries that we saw a little while ago, these armies are going to unite against Israel. And that's kind of what I'll build up to a little bit. So do you, you guys tracking with me out there? Yes or no? All right, Ezekiel 38, 7. Look at this with me in your notes. Uh, we just pretty much have scriptures today, and you can take notes as you see fit. But I'm kind of showing you a sequence a little bit here, you know, starting kind of uh, with the fig tree and then moving forward. This is very, very interesting. Get ready, the Bible says. Be prepared. That's fundamentally my end times posture. Get ready. Be prepared. 
You and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them. After many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land. Listen to this. Remember this. In future years, all, as my wife would say, all y'all, all you countries that were mentioned will invade a land that has recovered from war. I'm just going to pause there, but Israel has been involved in and fought seven major wars since becoming a nation and had many more conflicts, numerous conflicts. It is a land that is tired and exhausted from war. But they don't, they don't want to fight, but they have to fight in order to maintain their freedom. So he goes on to say, they've recovered from war whose people were gathered from many nations, that's speaking of the nations that I just showed you, Gog and Magog and Cush and Put and all those nations, he's speaking of that, gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which will come into play. So it's going to be a high point coming down into a low point, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. Now the Bible is saying right here that one day all of um, the Israelite uh, Jewish people will be brought back. They'll, be, they'll, they'll come back. Actually, since 1950, this is interesting. I don't know if you realize how small Israel is. It's like, I think it's like the size of Rhode Island. Uh, but, uh, but since 1950, 2.7 million Jews have gone back to the nation of Israel and live there. So there's been this major return to Israel. And Isaiah 11, 10 through 12, if you're interested, prophesies that this will happen. And what we're seeing here is Scripture prophesied thousands of years ago, again, coming to life. Verse 9 in Ezekiel 38 says this in verse 9 through 11. It says, You and all your troops and the many nations with you will go up, advancing like a storm. You would be like a cloud covering the land. Again, this is talking about the invading army mentioned in verse 1 through 6. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind. How does God know that? Because he knows our thoughts. Thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled, remember that, villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls. Everybody say without walls. And without gates and bars. Now this is really huge. This is, an, this is another big sign that I want you guys to try to understand or try to help you the best I can. Kind of a huge point here. Those words, without walls, is very, very key. Huge. In the, a, a, the Old Testament is written, the original text is written in Hebrew, New Testament, Greek primarily. And this particular word, without walls, was a tripping point for modern translators. But if you saw it in the original Hebrew language, it doesn't say without walls. It says without wall. Wall, singular. The translators added an S because they had a problem with kind of the syntax of the, the structure of it because it said villages, plural, and then it said wall, and they're like, that can't be right, so they added an S because they couldn't understand what it was referring to. They didn't understand the biblical prophetic possibilities of it until recent years. Okay, so they added an S. This is so key. You're probably like, what is the big deal about an S? Well, I'm going to explain it to you because since 2002, it became a big, big deal because in 2002, there's this wall that has been put around the nation of Israel or the West Bank in particular. The Israeli people were receiving an unbelievable amount of attacks, car bombings, terrorist activity, especially in the city of Tel Aviv. And so they decided to build a wall, a lot of fence 
a lot of barbed wire along the Palestinian-controlled West Bank. They did it for protection. You can show that picture there. After that wall was built, the attacks on Israel uh, decreased significantly, but conflict or frustration, you should say, about the inconveniences to the Palestinians doing business or whatever, now people were separated from their businesses sometimes. They were separated from family, and it's created some problems. So there's protection, but there were new problems, and so the wall has been a major point of contention in what's now the peace process in the Middle East. This wall, not walls, but this particular wall. As a result, when everybody, when, any, when anyone goes kind of to the table to talk about peace between the Palestinians uh, and Israel, this wall always comes up. The one mentioned in Ezekiel 38. It's talked about. And most scholars in particular, and many Messianic Jews uh, specifically, believe that when the peace process happens, and basically everybody wants peace, they're going to want peace because Israel doesn't want to fight anymore. Israel's tired and exhausted. And that wall comes down. The Bible basically says, open your eyes. Open your eyes because the end is really near. So the wall went up to protect. When that wall comes down, Open your eyes, because the end is really, really near. So you and I have a sign that's given to us from biblical prophecy of things to look for. We don't know exactly when, but we know it's close when you see that particular sign. You may not realize this, but peace talks were taking place for the last year and are currently unresolved, but underway, and they're spearheaded by Senator John Kerry. If you go right online, uh, you can see how just, I think it's in the last 9 to 12 months, they've been talking about trying to bring the wall down. It's happening right now in our lifetime. And the whole concept of this wall didn't make any sense until just the last few years. Amazing. Verse 12, it says this. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. So now this army comes in. And they're wanting to basically plunder this particular land. This verse is talking about basically the economic production of Israel. Very, it's not just influential. It is, it, it's not just has influence. It has affluence. It's saying that they'll be a very rich nation. In fact, their economy is doing incredibly well, proportionate to the rest of the world right now. And it is predicted to get a lot better. The reality is Israel is doing really good. One of the major reasons they're doing so good is because of the Dead Sea. Everybody ever heard of the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea, sometimes we don't see the significance of the Dead Sea, but what's so significant about it is it produces minerals. It's rich in minerals. I had to write this particular fact down after researching it. Just check this out. If you extracted the value from the minerals produced by the Dead Sea, they would be worth more than the combined wealth of the U.S., the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Italy combined. There's a lot of money. How many know that's a lot of money? There's a lot of money in Israel. Isn't that interesting? Additionally, and most recently, listen to this. I was just confirming this last night, just double-checking my research, but um, they discovered a 400-year supply of gas in Israel. 400-year supply. When it's developed and produced, it will make Israel one of the second most wealthy countries in the world. We, they have, they'll have the largest supply of gas, uh, fossil fuels uh, in the world. 
The, sec the second largest uh, production of fossil fuels available in the world right in Israel. The Bible tells us that Israel will prosper in the end times, and everybody's going to want some of it. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all her villages will say to you, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and seize much plunder? Right now, the government is protecting offshore uh, mining uh, for this particular fossil fuels uh, vehemently because, and there's, very, there's a lot of squabble about how to get the fuel from offshore safely to Israel and then other parts of the world without it becoming a, a skirmish or some kind of conflict. So you can imagine what it's like to protect that kind of plunder, the Dead Sea, to try to protect the fossil fuels and other uh, things that are going well for them. And what you have here is other nations seeing this invading army coming on Israel and basically saying this in the scripture. Why? This is what happens is other nations are going to come right around them and then nations outside of those immediate adjacent nations, the ones I showed you in the map are adjacent to Israel, but there are other nations of the world that are prophesied about and they're going to say things like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? What's going on? You shouldn't do that. They're kind of like slapping them on the wrist but not getting involved and many scholars believe this and I personally believe this just for what it's worth, but that the U.S. and the United Kingdom are those other nations that are referred to in Ezekiel. And basically, they're either, there's either two possibilities. They're weak in foreign policy, or they're exhausted from battle and from involvement, and so they don't get involved. They just kind of say, hey, why are you doing that? You shouldn't do that, but they don't get into the game themselves. And it may be far-stretched to think this, but the reality is nations will look at this battle, many, We'll look at this battle, and they'll say, you shouldn't do that, but they don't want to get in the game because they're tired, so they're going to just kind of stand by, potentially, and do nothing. That stage that I'm referring to or describing to you is set right now in terms of attitude within the world. In other words, recently when the U.S. was thinking about getting involved in Syria, a recent survey was done, and it said 86% of Americans say they are tired from war, they don't want it anymore. Of course, we see this post-Afghanistan as well. Verse 17 and 19 says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the one I spoke of in former days. Look at it in your notes, verse 17 and 19. Former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel. At that time, they prophesied for years that I would bring you against them. And this is what will happen in that day. This is talking about the invasion that is to come. This is what's going to happen. When Gog, Russia, attacks the land of Israel, my hot, hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake. Everybody say earthquake in the land of Israel. Now, this is another one of those sequential signs. So I'm giving you things like fig tree, the wall, you know. Um, now I want to show you another one. It's, 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 it's the earthquake. What is the earthquake referencing? What is it all about? God is saying, I will, I will end it all with an earthquake, a shaking. In Scripture, we see that a lot, actually. In fact, anytime God wanted to fish, finish something, he always sent an earthquake, when, when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake. When, when Jesus rose, there was an earthquake. The same thing. 
to signify kind of that there's an end to separation from God when he died, and now there's, um, and now there's a new opportunity and new, new life for us when he rose from the dead, signifying a, 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 that we can be new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. Behold, all has become new. God always sent an earthquake to signify or finish something. And God said in the end times when this thing all gets ready to go down, there's going to be another earthquake. Zechariah 14 mentions an earthquake happening in Israel. And again, the end times. But the one that is the most talked about, the earthquake that's, the, that's talked about the most, is in Revelation chapter 16 in the Valley of Armageddon. So here's that other big sign. I want to show you pictures from the Valley of Armageddon here. Um, this, this Valley of Armageddon is the only place in the world where you can move from east to west, you can march from east to west and not cross any significant terrain at all. It's just predominantly flat, and you have direct access to, to Israel. And again, Israel where there's large production of fossil fuels and where there's fertilizer and minerals and things like that. So, so if an army just speculating, wanted to invade Israel and seize the Dead Sea, they would have to go through the Valley of Armageddon. Interesting. With that in mind, now we're going to show you a connection between Revelation 16 and Ezekiel 38. I like to show New Testament, Old Testament connections, all right? And, and, and then we're going to pray, okay? So uh, don't, get, don't get scared. We're not all leaving, hopefully, this second. Uh, but, but be ready, all right? Revelation 16, verse 16, it says this. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Everybody say Armageddon. Don't say that every day, do we? The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. Interesting, pouring out his bowl, and look, and power comes from out of the bowl. We talked about this in our prayer series. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne of God saying, it is done. So whenever something is finished, look what happens. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. Remember, this is how God finishes things. It says this in Scripture, No earthquake like it ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. Now you saw in the video earlier the increase in earthquakes in our, in our world today. It's just continued to escalate. Continue to escalate. This will be the mother of all earthquakes. And then it says, after this, if you continue reading, then Jesus comes back. Right after that earthquake... Jesus comes through the eastern sky on his horse, his white horse, his steed, you know, with a sword on his thigh and, and, and just holy as the Lord our God. He comes out of that eastern sky. That's what happens. Now, I, this is what I know, and, and, and I don't know when any of this is going to happen, and I'm not, I hope that's not coming through like I know when, and, I, I, and, and you don't know either. And any other nut job on, on, in the world today that tries to tell you when he's coming back, they don't know either. No one knows. Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't even know according to Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. All, no one knows except the Father exactly when he's coming back. But Jesus did say, you're going to see some things happen. And when you see them, you're going to know that the time draws nigh, that it is near. If you're, if you're a woman in here and you've ever had a baby, you know that there's a season where everything's just kind of unseen and nothing, lots, lot going, not a lot's going on. Then before you know it, things start to become visible, right, ladies? Nobody, 
sometimes you don't like that phase. I think it's kind of cute, personally, when women start to become visible, you know, they, they start to show. And, 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 but then we move from sh show and cute to crazy, <laughs> right? And that's what, especially when the, when the woman starts to have contractions. And those contractions, you know, you know they become very, very, you know, distinct and, and painful and, and, and something's clearly going on. And then, you know, when you get to the hospital and, you know, if she doesn't get an epidural fast, you know, she's going to kill somebody and she's cursing you out, you know, as husbands and she's, she's threatening your life and she's go because the baby is what? The baby's coming. The baby's coming. And all over the world, we see the planet this is what I, it's like fully dilated. We see a planet, sorry, I've had four kids, all right, I'm numb to all this stuff, okay? I was at home plate the whole time, all four times, okay? So we see a planet that is pregnant and contracting like never before in human history. And I don't know, I don't know when, what, what, when it's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. That's what I do know. I know with all my heart that it's going to happen. And listen, this may scare some of you, but it's not supposed to. And I, wanna, I want you to see the scripture. I think it's in your notes from Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It says this. Look at this. It says, for the Lord himself, the Lord himself. Everybody say himself. In other words, he's not sending someone. He's coming himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump. When you hear that trumpet, he's, it's, it's not like, oh, I need to get down and repent and get right. It, that, this, you, you need to be right, right, with God. But he's going to come down, the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and it says this, the dead in Christ will rise first, those who have gone before us. After that, we who are still alive and are still left will be caught up together together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever Paul is saying what was predicted in the Old Testament is going to in fact happen but then he closes the thought with this next statement in verse 18 and I love this thought and this is the thought I want to leave you with today it says therefore encourage one another with these words encourage one another with these words in fact turn your neighbor to say be encouraged he's coming back we get to go he's coming back encourage each other See, God's message through all of this was not to scare. It was, in fact, to encourage. I'm actually looking forward to this day. You know, most of us have, we have problems, but the problems in this world are so much bigger than the problems that we have going on right now. I mean, starvation and disease, sometimes with no answers, and, and really modern slavery about us in this world today. But Jesus is coming back to make that all right. The only reason he's been slow, as some understand slowness, is because of his patience, not wishing that anyone would perish in accordance with Second Peter. God is telling us, I'm just waiting for all of us to choose to follow him. There's going to be no more hunger, no more daddy's gone, no more abuse, no more sickness, disease, cancer, no more divorce, praise God, because Jesus is coming back to make everything right. Can I have an amen out there? We don't know when he's coming back. We know, it, he know, we know he is coming back. And we know why he came in the first place was to make a way for us to be in right standing with God and to be in relationship with him here in this particular world. And, I'm, and, and we're supposed to be encouraged by that news. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Thank you. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally? We're all 
going to stand before God one day. And there'll be two opportunities when we stand before God. One will be fundamentally known as the judgment of faith, and the other one is the judgment of works. The most important one is the judgment of faith. What's your, what's the deal with you and my son, God will say? What's your position on my son, Jesus? Because he came for you. Did you, what's your answer to the question? The disciples said, are we living in the end times? That, that question really isn't the most important question. It's not so much are we living in the end times, but are we ready to meet him when he returns? That's the question. And if you're here today, I want to encourage you. You have the opportunity right now to make that decision, to be in relationship with God and have a certainty that's not based on doing everything perfect. You could have sinned this morning, yesterday, last week. Christ made atonement for your sins, so you don't have to pay for your sins anymore. When you sin and you mess up, if you're a Christ follower, you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you didn't lose your salvation. You just, you messed up. You just got a flat tire on your way to work. You need to change your tire, get back up and get going again. You don't have to get a new car. When you get in a fight with your wife, you don't have to get, you you sin, you, you screwed up, you said things you shouldn't say. It doesn't mean you're divorced now. So Jesus loves those of you who make mistakes. I'm not talking about you right now. I'm talking about you, those of you who've never allowed Jesus for the first time to pay for your sins. And you're trying to pay for them yourself by doing good things. And you're trying to figure it out on your own and you can't figure it out. And you're trusting you and you're not trusting God. If you've never transferred your trust from you to Christ, if you've never allowed him to pay for your sins and stop trying to do good things, the Bible doesn't say that doing good works is going to save you. There's none righteous, no, not one, just Jesus. He's the only one that can make a payment for your sins. You're willing to let him do that. You're willing to accept that gracious gift. That's what God's going to ask you. Because that's why God the Father sent his son in the first place was because it was to make a way for you to be right with him because you couldn't make a way to be right with him yourself. But one day he's coming back. And this time he's not coming back to show you the way. He's taking people home. And, he's gonna, and all the stuff, the screwy, screwed up stuff of this life that we're facing today, we don't have to face it anymore. And those that bent their knee to him willingly get to go. And those that don't, everybody, no matter what, all of us will bend our knee. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Ultimately, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You just have the opportunity today to bend your knee to Jesus. And so as a sign and a seal that you want that and you choose that with every head bowed, every head closed, just this is your decision. This is your moment of accountability. If you know you need to ask Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you raise your hand and just say, that's me. I don't want to leave today. Good and high, boldly. I, I, I got to make sure I'm right with God. God bless you all in the room. Anybody else? I don't want to miss it. I want to make sure I'm in right standing with God. I'm not certain that I've done that, but I want to be certain today. I promise you, sir, man, boy, girl, it's not going to be based on your perfect performance. It's based on Jesus' perfect performance. But it does require your faith. It does require your faith. Now, church, those of you who raise your hand, you can put your hand down. Those of you that are here, that in the sound of my voice, those who are listening online, maybe you made that decision today too. This is for you as well. Just say, Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Not yesterday, not tomorrow today. Today I choose with my will to bend my knee to you. That is make you my Lord and my Savior. I choose to follow you. 
I choose to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Save me today in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer, the prayer of salvation, that there'd be a, a sense of certainty that only the Holy Spirit can grant and give. Whom to know aright is life eternal. Life eternal. This then is eternal life that they might know thee. Jesus Christ, John 17, 23. I pray, Lord, for that relationship to be settled, not just in heaven but on earth, so they know every day they live from this point forward to the day Christ returns, they are secure, eternally secure. Eternal life begins now, not just when we go to heaven, but right now as we go forward and then into heaven. And I pray, Lord, that we encourage one another with these words and that we give away what God has given us, that we have a sense of urgency upon us, not fear for us. Urgency upon us to help other people who don't know and who don't understand and who are, let's just, blinded to the truth where there is a veil over their eyes. Take the veil off our eyes and help us to open up other people's eyes with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when the gospel has been preached to the whole world, then the end will come. And that day draws nigh where every person has been given an opportunity just like we received today. Many, many, many have received that same opportunity. It might have been given to everybody at this point. We do not know. But Lord, help us, use us as instruments of righteousness to be those messengers, those paper boys, paper girls that give away the good news as we go out today. Encourage others that we will be together that all the people in this room who called upon the name of the Lord will have eternity together. What a joy that would be. Heaven's going to be awesome, better than this life. Chick-fil-A on every corner, Krispy Kreme, warm and hot signs all the time. God, it's going to be awesome, and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, if you made that decision today, please make sure to fill out a connection card and put that in the connection box on the back. We want to give you kind of your next steps in your journey of faith. Don't take that lightly. We'll see you tonight, 201, 530, uh, here in, uh, downstairs in the lower auditorium. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of You Asked For It. We're talking about sex next week. <laughs>